Jesus is known not just for the statements he made, but for the questions he asked. Questions that challenge the religious and those who feel far from God. Questions that reveal his purpose and his plan. Questions that cut to the heart of our beliefs, our motives, and our identity. I wonder, how will you answer the questions Jesus asked? Well, good morning and welcome to the 930 service. I'm glad that you're here. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. This Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, is our day to pray, which is when we join together with other churches from across the county to pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so if you'd like to sign up for CTK uh, Day to Pray, you can go to ctk.church day and then the number two pray, ctk.church day to pray, and you can sign up. I'd love to invite you into that time right after Thanksgiving. Peter is hiding in the shadows. He doesn't want anyone to see him. He doesn't want anyone to know that he's there. His heart and his body are cold. Just 24 hours earlier, this fisherman who boldly said, Jesus, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. That man who said those words is now both scared and searching because none of the events of that day had gone according to Peter's plan. The Passover meal, the walk to Gethsemane, the agony of Jesus' prayers, the fact that they fell asleep instead of praying with him, the betrayal of Judas, the sword in Peter's hand, cutting off the ear of one of the mob, and then the healing of that same ear followed by the arrest of their Messiah. Nothing had gone the way Peter believed it would. In his mind, the disciples should have been overthrowing Rome and crowning Jesus as king, but instead, Jesus was a prisoner, arrested and being held in a pit underneath of Caiaphas, the high priest's home. Jesus was not being crowned. He was actually being condemned. But Peter was curious. So he followed at a distance. He was too afraid to come close and too lost to run. So he followed and questioned everything. And in this moment, we find Peter hiding in a doorway when, when this first question comes. And then when the cold becomes too much, he sees a small group of people warming themselves by a fire and he draws near to feel the heat on his hand and it happens. The very thing that Peter said would never, ever, ever happen actually happens. These are the denials of Peter from John 18. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? Peter said, I am not. Now the servants and officers who had made a fire of coals stood there for it was cold and they warmed themselves and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Jump down to verse 25. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore they said to him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter had cut off said, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied again and immediately a rooster crowed. Three denials. I am not a follower I don't know him, I don't know him, and no sooner had the third one left Peter's mouth than the prophecy that Jesus had made came true. And Jesus said, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. The second it comes out of his mouth, 
There's the rooster. Jesus is tried, wrongfully convicted, crucified, and murdered, and everybody thinks the story is over until Easter Sunday morning. The ladies head to the tomb. The stone has been moved. There's no body. An angel gives a powerful instruction. Go and tell the disciples, and who gets a special mention? And Peter. Go get Peter and tell him he is not here, he's risen. And Peter runs to the tomb, and there's nobody. And all of the statements that Jesus had been making about dying and coming back to life are falling into place. And Jesus, or Peter, is just a little rattled. Could Jesus be alive? Can you imagine Peter's thought process? Oh, yes! Oh, no! And then in the days to follow, rumors of Jesus being alive begin to float amongst the community. But life goes quiet, and Peter is still ashamed and embarrassed, so he goes back fishing. He's ashamed, so he returns to what he knows. I'll just read it to you, but I want you to see it. Those of you who've been with me to Israel, you've been in this beach. You've seen it. Let me show you a picture of Tabgah. It's a Byzantine church that's been there. The, the rock in front of it is actually known as the church, the church of the Multiplication, where the feeding of the 5,000 happened. And there's this beach. And if you travel with me to Israel, here's what we do. We go to the beach, and I send everybody down to the water to collect two stones. One they keep as a trophy of God's grace to forgive everything they've ever done wrong. And the other one they take with them as a reminder to pray for the prodigals in their life. We all walk away with two stones and then we sit on this beach for a really, really, really long time and we read this story because of everything it means to anyone who's ever done anything wrong. That would be all of us, just so we're clear. And if you're like, I've never done anything wrong, that's the sin of pride. Welcome to the club. We're glad that you're here. (laughs) On this beach, this happens. It happened this way. Simon, Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. They said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Can we stop there for just a second? Veteran fishermen, been on this lake for a long time. No fish all night. And here comes the instruction. Try the other side of the boat. Are you kidding me? Same water, same lake, same everything. But here's what's crazy. I guess when you're desperate, you'll try anything. So they do. That's exactly what they do. They throw their net on the other side of the boat. Verse number seven says, and when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off, jumped into the water. 
The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. Peter's a little freaked out. When was the last time you got dressed to go swimming? He's a little rattled. He's a little freaked out, but he knows something. I got to get to Jesus. I've got to resolve this. I got to face my shame. I blew it really, really bad. I'm not going to go in the opposite direction. I'm going to go towards him. Question for you. Is that your normal response to shame? I mean, when you blow it really bad, do you press in or do you pull away? I love this passage because Satan wanted Peter to start swimming in the opposite direction. But Peter knew something. Peter knew that restoration, wholeness, and forgiveness is always in the direction of Jesus. I don't care how bad you've blown it. Don't pull away. Press in. He dives in. Full baptism. It's amazing. Knowing what's waiting for him. And here's where Peter is going to. He's going to breakfast with a risen Savior. Verse number nine, here comes. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore and it was full of large fish, 153. Let's stop there for a second. People get hung up on that number. They've been trying to figure out why scripture is so specific about the number of fish, 153. I'll give you some of the ideas. Some people say it was just normal protocol for a fisherman to count the number of fish, right? They knew how many they caught, how many they sold. It just makes sense. They counted 153 and it's in the biblical record. Other people say that it was the number of nations on the earth at that particular time, but no one really knows. Here's my conviction, and yes, if you Google this, some articles and scholars will completely disagree with me. It's okay, they're allowed to be wrong. Okay, so, um, but <laughs> here's my conviction, all right? And you can take it for what it's worth. When we visit Israel, we have a very specific guide that we work with. His name is Sam Markerio. Sam grew up in the old city in Jerusalem. He's a true Jerusalemite. He speaks Hebrew, Arabic, and some other languages. <laughs> And this is Sam's conviction. He taught us, knowing the languages really, really well, that when the number 153 is broken out into the Hebrew alphabet and numbers correlate with the letters, this is what it spells out. I am God. Now, I'm, I'm telling you, so you don't email me, you can start Googling it and a bunch of people are going to say, nope, 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 nope. Here's what I know. In scripture, everything means something. There's nothing thrown in just for the sake of it being thrown in. God is meticulous with detail and you're going to see that anymore. So regardless of how you decide to put it together, there were 153 fish. God never skimps when it comes to a miracle. Then the scripture says, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, I love this invitation. Come and have breakfast. You guys are all freaked out. <laughs> Come and have breakfast with me. I want you to take a moment and marvel at the details the Bible includes and while they're there. The first one's the fire. The campfire. Because it's not just a campfire. Jesus is actually triggering a memory for Peter. Very specifically in the account where Peter denies Jesus, it mentions a fire of burning coals. To be specific, a charcoal fire. 
And at the invitation to have breakfast, the Bible mentions again, there's a fire of burning coals, a charcoal fire. If you've ever experienced it, charcoal has a very distinct smell. And there's something very revolutionary going on in the brain and the heart of Peter. As he smells the fire, his brain is going back to a crushing moment. And let me explain to you medically what's actually happening. So when you see, hear, touch, or taste something, something incredible happens in your body. The sensory information goes to the thalamus, which acts as your brain's relay station. The thalamus sends information to relevant brain areas, including the hippocampus, which is responsible for memory, and the amygdala, which does the emotional processing. But with the one other sense, the sense of smell, it's different. Sense bypass the thalamus, go straight to the brain's smell center, which is known as the olfactory bulb. <laughs> the olfactory bulb is directly connected to the amygdala and the hippocampus, which might explain why the smell of something can immediately trigger a detailed memory or even an intense emotion. You've experienced this before. When you used to walk into Bellis Fair, you remember that? It's a mall that used to be over here that... Nobody goes to anymore, but we used to walk in there when Cinnabon was getting fired up first thing in the morning, and you'd, wake, you'd walk in the door and go, oh, that just smells so good. It's like Grandma's kitchen. You've experienced these things before. You, you smell something, and it just triggers a memory. My grandma, Hilda Fishbook, was from Prussia, Poland, Ukraine area, and, and if I walk into a kitchen and smell sour cabbage, it reminds me of my grandma's soup. And I can hear her voice. I can see her standing at the stove in her dress. I mean, it's all just right there. That's what's happening to Peter. All of the emotions of the denial are coming, rushing back because he smells the smell of wow, he was warming his hands when he denied Jesus. And now he's been invited to breakfast and it's all coming back. It's not punishment, it's preparation. Jesus is getting ready for a moment. That's the fire. Now I want you to notice the food. The smell of that food cooking again would be helping Peter into a moment and he would be remembering a miracle. There was another time when fish and bread showed up in incredible amounts to feed 5,000 men plus women plus children. Peter's like, okay, I've got a denial. Now he's reminding me of a miracle, which is exactly what I'm going to need because of my failure and my fallout because he's recalling these moments of failure. But Jesus interweaves a miracle in there as well because there's a miracle about to happen, the miracle of restoration. A prodigal is going to be welcomed home. Pastor Edwin Lewis Cole once said this, the pattern of the prodigal is so predictable it happens over and over and over again, and every single one of us understands it. It works like this. Rebellion, ruin, repentance, reconciliation, restoration. That's God's pattern in dealing with a prodigal. Let me say it again. Rebellion, ruin, repentance, reconciliation, and restoration. And that's the story of Peter and the story of so many of us in this room. It's my story. 
We rebel and deny Jesus by living the life that he gave us, but we live it our way. We arrogantly believe, I can figure out this life thing myself, but my decisions only lead us to a place of ruin. So we have a moment when our life is a mess and the only way to find life again is to repent before God and allow his reconciliation to bring us back to a place of full restoration. And that's what's going to happen right here. Jesus is about to restore Peter fully and completely into his role as a leader because Jesus knows something that every single one of us should learn today. It's better to restore a relationship than replace it. I know it's really, really hard work, but it's true. It's better to restore a relationship than replace it. Jesus is not going to let Peter wallow in his denial. He's not going to allow this failure to define Peter for the rest of his life. No, Jesus is going to put Peter back in the game. In fact, he's going to put him as the lead dog in the pack. All of these empty words that Peter said when he said, I don't know him, they're going to be wiped away and replaced with a passionate man who's learned enough about denial to teach the rest of us the importance of true commitment. So here comes the restoration. I'm sure Peter's heart was thumping out of his chest. I wonder whether or not he ate anything because when I'm upset I can't eat anything how about you and he's smelling the fire and the bread and the fish are there I know that's not your idea of breakfast but people do things differently around the world verse 15 said when they finished eating Jesus said to Simon Peter Simon son of John do you love me more than these Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Three red letter questions. Do you love me? One for every single denial. Do not tell me Jesus is not into the details. (laughs) Peter, do you love me? I mean, do do you really, really love me? We have many words in the English language that can be taken so many different ways, right? One example is the word love. I can love pizza and I can love my family. Same word, not the same depth or meaning, right? In scripture, there are three words for love, agape, phileo, and eros. Jesus uses two of them here. My interpretation, Peter, do you love me like family? Well, that's easy to say yes to, right? It's like family's family. Most of the time, right? (laughs) They're coming for Thanksgiving. Here we go. (laughs) Peter, do, do you love me like family? Or Peter, do you love me beyond family affection to the point of sacrifice and devotion? Peter, are you willing to pay a cost? You said you would once and then you backed out, but now I'm giving you an opportunity to declare it again. Peter, do you love me? Not, not, not the way you love your favorite food 
or, or your mom or your dad. I mean, beyond that point, to the point of dying to yourself in order to follow me. Peter, I need to know, do you really, really love me? I think Jesus wants an answer to the same question from every single one of us today. Just like Peter, every one of us, Jesus wants to restore us fully. No matter how many denials you've said in the past, Jesus has invited you into this moment. And I know some of you are already putting up your shame resume. You're like, Grant, you have no idea what I've done. I have done so much worse than Peter. It doesn't matter. Same Savior. Same restoration. It's a gift that you can receive if you'll open your heart and receive it. It's right there. Peter fully failed. There is no denying it. Three times. Could have, he could have changed his story at any moment. He didn't. Peter fully failed. There's no denying that. And yet he was fully restored. 2 Timothy 2 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot disown himself. But Grant, you don't understand. If we are faithless, he is still faithful. But Grant, I've got this thing that if we are faithless, he is still faithful. I wish I'd learned this in my early 20s. Failure is neither fatal nor final. Boy, I wish I would have learned that earlier. What that means is no matter my failure, God's restoration is more powerful. Like I said, I believe Jesus is asking the same question of every single one of us. Do you love me? Oh, it's so easy to say. Oh, of course I love you, Jesus. Of course. Of course I do. Can I press in and make it a little uncomfortable for all of us? How would anyone know? Where's the proof of your profession of faith? Where does your faith go when culture starts pushing in on every side? When the chips are down and the people at your work lunch table say, you're not one of those Bible thumpers, are you? You're one of those Jesus freaks, are you? Do you suddenly ha have to leave the lunch table? Or are you willing to pay a price and say, yes, I am? Jesus was not ashamed of me. I'm not ashamed of him. And I would love to have a conversation with you about the real Jesus that I know not the one that culture portrays him as. I'd love to introduce you to the Jesus who saved me and found me and pulled me back from the edge and saved my life. I would love for you to know not the caricature of Jesus that gets paraded around the world with easy believism and cheap grace. No, I want to talk to you about a Savior who gave his life for me so that I could be restored. When there's a cost for following Jesus, this is my question, would your answer still be yes? 
if it cost you everything, would you still say yes? Here's what I love about Peter. He spent the rest of his life following Jesus. <laughs> was martyred for his faith because he denied once, but he was never going to let it happen again. If you want to witness the change of this rough fisherman into a gentleman full of wisdom, you should read his books. They're in the Bible. First, second, and third Peter. I love those books because they challenge me to love Jesus more every single day. The CTK blessing is actually a way that we practically answer the red letter question, do you love me? Our main message for the month of November continues to be that we love Jesus with everything we have and we feed his lambs by giving our time, sharing our money and sticking with it faithfully. And for 20 years, the CTK blessing has been the way we pull together as a church to do all three of those things. We give our time, we share our money and we stick with it. So far this month, we've been telling you practically how we feed God's lambs right here in Whatcom County. We told you about the work at our CTK farm that allows us to meet a real need. And I know many of us may not experience it, but there are people today in our community who are facing food insecurity and hunger. And we made a decision years ago that if we could say anything or do anything about it, that we were going to try to make sure that as many of them got fed as was possible. And we didn't want them to have to eat out of a can, so we started growing fresh stuff. We shared with you about the winter shelter where we accept the call of God to put our works and our faith together to change our city and our county. I had a conversation this past week with somebody who was uh, very passionately complaining about the homeless situation in our city. And I said, so let me offend you. You can complain about it or you can do something about it. In fact, I think this is just my personal conviction. If you don't do something about it, I think you should not have the right to complain about it. Somebody said, amen. I appreciate the support. Thank you. <laughs> and I said, we actually have an opportunity for you to help solve the problem by creating a safe, warm space for people who don't have a home or a roof. The winter shelter is a response to a scriptural call to help the poor and provide shelter for those who need it. And this week, we're going to add one more piece to the CTK blessing. The Bible says this in Galatians 6. Therefore, I love this. As we have opportunity, let's do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I love that scripture says we get to help those inside of the walls and outside of the walls. We're supposed to hold those two things together. Let's do good to all people. I don't know about you, but I live in a world where, where we need more of that. Where we can do good to all people. So one of the elements of the blessing is when one of our church family finds themselves in a financial crisis, we rally to them in the very same th three ways that we've been talking about. Only by giving our time can we provide the emotional and spiritual support that brings hope in the midst of crisis. And so as people bring their situations to us, our blessing coordinator helps people connect to community resources and then they find the gaps. And that's where the CTK blessing funds come in to meet practical, real life, live in real time needs. 
Without the faithfulness of God's people giving the last year's blessing, we would be scrambling because crisis, have you noticed this? Crisis never calls ahead and tells you it's going to show up. Crisis just happens. I say this every year. I hope you never need this. I don't wish crisis on anybody, but if it happens to you, my prayer is that your church family will have showed up in advance so when you need this kind of help, we can give it to you. We take this offering in advance in obedience to Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, so we can walk alongside of people who may need it along the way. And today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to share a story with you of how several CTKers showed up over and over to serve, love, care for, and provide for a single dad and his daughter. We're going to need a little extra grace this year with the story because we've never shared a blessing story without the person being here to help us tell the story. But I want you to think about if it was your life and your story, wouldn't you want us to be protective of you as well? So out of respect and to preserve their privacy, we've changed their names and not used footage of the real people and the real places. I just really hope you'll understand the heart behind what we're trying to say today. What I can tell you is this. I've, I've known Hope since she was a little girl. She has grown into a vulnerable young adult who has faced so many challenges in so many ways. And we got to be there for her. And I'm so proud of not only her but the way that you've helped her. So let's take a look at Hope's story right now. I met Hope when she was a little girl attending our children's ministries. A short time later, she tragically lost her mom to cancer when she was just nine years old. Hope and her dad, through all of life's struggles, attended CTK faithfully for years. And then last December, I got a call from one of their closest friends at church. Hope was very worried about her dad. Something wasn't right. After an initial assessment at St. Joe's, her dad was transferred down to UW for emergency surgery. Hope was home alone, scared, and overwhelmed. With no family in the area, their friends were doing the best they could to meet Hope's needs, but they were coming to the end of their resources. So I asked Carrie, our blessing coordinator, if we could help with grocery money for simple foods a young person could prepare on her own. But soon it was clear that she really needed a safe place to spend the holidays while her dad was in the hospital recovering from surgery. The CTK Blessing Fund enabled us to fly Hope across the country to be with her extended family. Then, once her dad came home from the hospital, to fly Hope back to Bellingham to be with him. I'm so grateful for Carrie, our blessing coordinator, who plays such a critical role in these situations, coordinating with community resources, problem solving with families, and using blessing funds where it makes the most sense. For the last three years, I've had the privilege of walking alongside people like Hope, whose lives are interrupted by tragedy, loss or other unforeseen circumstances. I get to see firsthand how your generosity meets very real needs. I want you to know it's a reminder that God is at work in their lives and that they are not alone. As a church family, we can't meet every need, but what's unique about the blessing is that it allows us to find and fill the gaps. Things other programs and services can't cover. 
that flexibility allows us to follow the Spirit's lead as His plans for them unfold. At so many points in Hope's story, it seemed like an unsolvable problem, but God continued to make a way, orchestrating His best for Hope and her family, even in the midst of heartbreaking loss. So on behalf of each of the 100 plus families I've worked with this year, thank you for giving so faithfully and so generously. Sadly, Hope's dad was given only a few months to live. We walked alongside the family with prayers, support, and encouragement wherever we could. Carrie helped Hope navigate difficult public systems to access support and services wherever possible. And Hope's dad did all he could to prepare her for life without him, but there just wasn't time. One evening, the pastor on call emergency phone rang. Things were bad and Hope needed someone to come. Her friends from church were there, but they wanted a pastor to join them. I knew this situation had become too much for such a young person to handle. I knew her friends were doing all they could, but this situation was complicated with many layers. The very real needs were adding up faster than we could find solutions. We were coordinating with hospice and hospital social workers and some of the programs at the Opportunity Council. Everyone wanted to help, but there were just some needs that no program was designed to meet. Hope's dad was eventually moved to the Wacom Hospice House, but Hope had no place to go. She didn't want to go back to her family while her dad was still here. She needed to be near him and he needed to know that she was going to be okay. So her aunt flew out to be with her brother at the end of his life and to take care of Hope, but no one knew how long that would be, days, maybe weeks. And that's where this church family stepped up and stepped in like only community can. People took Hope into their homes until her aunt could arrive, picked her up at the airport, loaned them a car to get around Bellingham, gave them a spare bed, helped packed up an apartment, and so much more. In the midst of it all, a huge challenge came up. The lease on Hope and her dad's apartment was ending, but leaving Bellingham and Hope's father all alone made no sense. They couldn't afford a hotel room indefinitely. So once again, when things seemed impossible, God showed up in a big way. At just the right time, a CTKer who was familiar with the situation had just bought a house and offered to let Hope and her aunt stay in the apartment for the remaining weeks on the lease. When the day finally came to say goodbye to her dad, Hope was faced with another set of decisions and burial expenses that she needed help navigating. The family had already been stretched to the max, so CTK Blessing covered those expenses and the ticket to fly Hope back to the East Coast with her aunt, where she's now surrounded by her family. For 20 years, the Blessing has allowed our church to care for families like Hope's. Without the Blessing, we would be able to provide spiritual and emotional support, but it would leave friends and family scrambling to pass the hat to be able to meet her tangible, practical needs. And not everyone has those resources. But as a whole family at CTK, it's wonderful to see how God uses the blessing and our network of relationships to do the impossible. I am so grateful to be a part of a church that not only shows the care of Jesus in devastating moments, but demonstrates His provision.
So somewhere on the other side of that camera, hope is watching. Boy, we love you and we miss you, sweet girl. But we're so glad that you are with your family. I just need you to know that this family loves and misses you very much. Somebody else's miracle. No manipulation, no guilt. Just a call of God as he asks us a question. Do you love me? And take care of my sheep. We're going to release another story this coming week on social media. So if you'd like to be inspired again, you can. But I'm going to ask every one of you was given one of these as you were coming in today. I'm going to ask, would you just hold it in your hand for a moment? Because we're going to pray over it. Father God, it's just a piece of paper that would be filled with paper (laughs) that could change someone else's life in a moment when they needed your church to show up. So God, I pray that for every person who makes a sacrifice this year to give to the blessing above and beyond their already incredible generosity, I pray that you would make more stories like hope's possible. God, I thank you for Carrie and the work that she does to make sure that every need is real. God, thank you for the team that surrounds her, that works alongside and cares for those who are struggling. God, would you take this offering this year and do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or even imagine. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to give to the blessing online, you can go to give.ctk.church and select blessing in the drop-down menu. My prayer is that again this year we can answer the red-letter question, do you love me, with a resounding yes. By caring for people who don't need a hand out, they need a hand up. That truly is the heart of Jesus. So I'm going to ask you, if you're here at the 930 service, to stand with me. If you're on the other side of that camera, if you would change your posture as well. Last year we did a little, or last week we did a little poll about greeting and connecting with each other. And I want to encourage you to connect with each other. Because I'm going to pray in just a moment. And then I'm going to dismiss you. What I can tell you is that in the meeting place, which is out the doors to your right, there is hot cider and donuts and an opportunity to connect with other real human beings, which I think is something that God would honor today. So whether you shake somebody's hand or knuckle bump them, you actually noticing another human being would be a small miracle in their life today, and I hope and pray that we would do that well together as a family. The kind of a family that looks after young people like hope. May we always continue to do that.
Now may the God of peace and the God of all comfort walk with you and cover you as a refuge that only he can be. May you walk worthy of the name by which you have been called and may you answer the question, do you love me with a resounding yes in word, thought, and action this week? God, thank you for the donuts and the cider, but more than anything, thank you for the connections that are about to happen. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the generous family of God agreed together and said, amen and amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.